Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday. Uh, we are recording this two whole weeks in advance because we're feeling real confident right now. What? So uh, this is December 14, but we are not releasing it till the 28th, the very last Monday of the shitstorm that was 2020. <laughs> Hallelujah. We um, So it, this is post-Christmas. Santa has already come. We got the surprise gifts of our dreams. <laughs> How's uh, Santa at the Wilson house uh, prepping? Is that going well? Oh, it's so great. It's so great. The girls um, actually got a Zoom call with Santa yesterday. Aww. It was amazing. First of all, I just can't believe... I even got him booked because, as you know, he's super busy this busy time man. of year. Yeah. And, you know, it's just maybe one of the rare um, instances where the pandemic has created something better because they got a 15-minute virtual call with both Santa and Mrs. Claus. Oh, my goodness. I know. The both of them where they got to ask questions and – um talk to them about their elf and Santa knew everything already. <laughs> he, he knew what they already wanted and um, that Lexi, their elf has done such a great job of reporting back every night. And um, it was just like a thousand times better than sitting on Santa's lap and getting your picture taken and then keep on moving. And significantly less creepy. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I have to tell you the funniest part, though, is that um, <laughs> so my mother-in-law has told my kids for a very long time that Santa is her boyfriend. Oh. And at one point during the call, um, Mrs. Claus was baking cookies and her alarm went off for her to go, like, check on them. Mm -hmm. And so Olive took the opportunity when Mrs. Claus was out of frame to be like, so Santa, question for you. <laughs> My granny says she's your girlfriend. And he was like, huh, well, I don't think Mrs. Claus would agree with that. <laughs> And he said, but I've known your granny since she was a little girl, and she's always been on my nice list. Well played, Santa. I know. And then after <laughs> we were talking about it after the call, and Olive said, well, he didn't really answer the question. <laughs> so <laughs> diplomatic, that Santa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's great. The kids are super excited in, um, you know, it was so nice to have a little bit of magic in a year that has had so little. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about you? Did, 
How's it going in your household? Well, you know, without children, Santa's engagement is a little different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I mean, as you know, Santa is uh, less good at stockings for adults. I mean, he really just thrives in that child space. Yes. And so I have a good friend of mine who's a single mother, and uh, Santa asked me to help him out and get her gifts for her stocking every year. Oh. Uh, which I absolutely adore. It is genuinely one of my favorite parts <laughs> about Christmas. It's so fun to just get like tiny little things all year long. But then I put it together, and I'm often in this position where I've overpurchased for the stocking. Yeah. This year, I'm at a new level of overpurchasing, kind of across the board, but especially for the stocking. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I guess if there was ever a year that people deserve to be spoiled, it's 2020. That's so true. So true. Well, if you celebrate Christmas, we hope you had a fantastic one. And right now, as we're recording, we are in the middle of Hanukkah. Let's see, today is the fifth night, fourth night, something like that. Yes. So to all of our Jewish listeners, we hope you're having a wonderful Hanukkah celebration. You've got your menorahs going. Um, I know one of my (laughs) – okay, so one of my good friends from college, uh, she's got a very small daughter, like 18 months old, um, who loves FaceTiming with me to watch my cats. Um, (laughs) She gives zero shits about me. She just wants to see the cats. So I got her a stuffed cat for Hanukkah. And the cutest thing is she carries it around with her every night as she's opening more Hanukkah gifts. And so it's like her and this cat on Hanukkah. And it's just the sweetest thing ever. That's so cute. (laughs) That's so cute. That is something that Santa brought up because the girls read off their Christmas list and they had multiple real puppies listed on there. So like a Dalmatian puppy, a poodle puppy, and... Um, Olive even put a random puppy, like Santa's <laughs> choice. Like he could just choose. But it just, it's got to be real. Uh-huh. And he was so great. He was like, well, how, what will Roscoe think of that? Good job, and, Santa. I know. And they were like, <gasps> he knows about Roscoe. <laughs> they thought they could just slide a puppy in there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And then Olive had a cat tree. She wants two cat trees listed. And Santa, well, Mrs. Claus actually was the one who said, that's so nice of you to think of someone else and to think to think of Figaro and how he might like a cat tree. Aww. So, oh, that's cute that you got that for your friend's daughter. Speaking of cat trees, my mother-in-law got us a cat tree for Christmas um, and said that I should open it early and put it together for the cats, which I'm all about. So I spent a good 90 minutes yesterday putting it together. Holy cow. I know. Oh, God. Is this like the most elaborate cat tree ever created? It does have four levels. Whoa. But we put it together, and I'm I'm so stinking proud of myself. Like, look at what I have created from my hands. And our cat walks past, and immediately I'm like, oh, shit. It is way too small for them. Oh, (laughs) no. It is like a cat tree for kittens. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So do you have to send it back? Yes, we dismantled it last night, uh, researched a better tree, and it is already on the way because my mother-in-law wants to make sure our cats are taken care of this Christmas, and I appreciate that. That's so cute. Well, maybe I'll get some uh, cat tree tips from you. Oh, yes. I I will certainly send them your way. (laughs) 
Well, what are we talking about today? Well, given that this is our last episode to air in 2020, which, again... So crazy. So crazy. Wild to me. Wild. So this is episode, I think, 54 that we're releasing. We thought it was a good opportunity to just do a quick look back. Look back at 2020, both from the nonprofit sector lens, but also, you know, we can throw in some podcast reflections at the same time. And uh, just wrap it up like all those, you know, top 20 lists that I'm sure are starting to come out right now. This will be our top list of nonprofits in 2020. And I am told that you have already created questions. I have. Um, questions that I don't know about. You're right. And <laughs> I will say, I also broke the cardinal rule in that I didn't actually think about how I would answer them too. So we are genuinely going through this together. All right. It sounds like fun. I also, <laughs> funny side note, I was just, I was Googling, you know, top interview questions for year in review and found all these coaching websites that had things for like their clients to look back at. Yeah. Some of them were so intense. Like what one regret do you have that makes oh. you cry tears of embarrassment? Oh, I was like, I, you expect a coach to, a I can't even imagine my therapist asking me that. Wow. Yeah. So that did not make the list. Just so you know. <laughs> okay, good. I just started sweating a little bit. I'm like, oh gosh, I have to say this on air? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's start with the good stuff. Thinking Great. about the last year, mm -hmm. what are you most proud of in terms of what you've achieved, accomplished, or brought into the year? Wow, still, that's like big. That's big. <laughs> And you don't have answers to these either? I mean, I, you absolutely have to answer these too. I mean, I will. I just, I haven't thought through it either. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, maybe it's because we are currently in progress of taping a podcast right now as I speak. Um, but honestly, that's one of the biggest things. I mean, the fact that we launched this uh, this time last year, not knowing what 2020 was going to bring and still committed to staying consistent and putting out new content every week and staying responsive to what was happening um, in the current environment um, and trying to be of service to our, you know, colleagues in arms in the nonprofit sector <laughs> who are going through all these tough things at the same time. So that's what I'm most proud of from 2020. I think that's a good one. You know, if when I think back to like my initial fears upon releasing a podcast, one of the big ones was that it was going to fizzle out. Like we were going to get a few episodes in, we were going to run out of content, we were going to realize it was too much work. Right. Or or there would just be like some big barrier and it would fizzle. We continue to record in a fucking pandemic. I know. And just having to completely upend how we did things too. You know, it's like we finally figured out how to record in your recording studio. Um, and then it's like, oh, I can't come over there. What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think for me too, part of it was it's been so nice as, as things have been shifting so quickly in nonprofits to have an outlet to both process that, but also to have like a, a platform to be pushing for, better things to come for this sector. Yes. Right? Like I feel like I could have spent a number of moments in the last year just wallowing. 
like, oh my gosh, everything is so hard. Everything's so awful. All my colleagues are struggling. And instead I could come on here and talk about how much I fucking hate DAFs. And that was really great. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, that is what this pod, how this podcast started um, as a cathartic exercise of us venting to each other. And um, while we don't want it to just be a bitch session, right? Because we want it to be helpful. It has truly been helpful for both of us as well. I mean, mm -hmm. like you said, to be able to process what is happening and just to be able to sit and talk about it and then hear from others who are like, oh my gosh, we're going through the same thing. Um, it's been great. Yeah. So thinking bigger picture then, when you think about the sector as a whole, what makes you smile when you think about it today? Well, <clears throat> maybe again, it's because you just mentioned DAFs, but I do feel like um, that message to some extent was really heard, at least anecdotally. I've heard it from my donors that I work with. And, you know, we've talked about this multiple times about, you know, donors really step up in times of um, catastrophes, you know, like tornadoes and hurricanes and fires and that sort of thing. And this has sort of been like the be all end all catastrophe. <laughs> and I've seen donors stand up, not just for COVID relief, but in the wake of COVID, hey, let me also support all these other nonprofits that are doing really important work right now at a challenging time. Um, and so I've seen it more broadly than just like specifically to the cause or to the event and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking, um, one of the most overused terms in 2020 beyond unprecedented has been resilience, mm -hmm. but yet it's, it so well encapsulates what we've seen, like from my clients, clients, the people they actually serve to the organizations themselves. Like I was thinking back to some of those initial calls I was having the week after everything shut down and everybody is grappling with how do we provide services like this? How do we ensure that the most marginalized people in our communities get access to what we, we have to provide? How do we step up and provide more? And they did it and they yeah. did it in incredible ways. They did it in spades. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And then I think on the other side, like kind of what you're talking about there, I was thinking, you know, am I, am I just more tuned into philanthropy because we're talking about so much more? Or was this really a year of big change? Right. Were we really seeing philanthropy call to the carpet on the things that aren't happening and aren't help happening well? And I do think that that is actually occurring. It's not just a perception thing. Yeah. I like to think so too. Yeah. Both of those make me smile. Okay, so obviously we have to ask about the flip side. What's been the hardest? Well, I think it's the same thing, right? It's, <laughs> I mean, it's like two sides, just like you said, the flip side. It's two sides of the same coin in that, um, sure, as a sector, we've rocked it being able to, maybe the third most common term, pivot our <laughs> services, Um and our fundraising, right? It's like, okay, how do we keep serving our clients? Um, but then it's also like, okay, how do we continue to raise the money needed to con 
continue serving our clients. And so that pivoting was happening both um, at the program delivery level and then also at the fundraising level. Mm -hmm. And even though for the most part we all did it and did it well, it was really fucking hard and it was on the spot and it was going a million miles an hour and just having to make those decisions, you know, about events coming up or, you know, whatever it might be and, and constantly having to, um, adjust because this virus just would never end, Mm. (laughs) you know? I mean, I've been watching some of these shows that have come out with new seasons that incorporated coronavirus into their scripts, which I think is very clever. And they kind of start at the beginning of the virus in March and April. And some of the things that they make fun of, you know, it's really funny because they're saying, oh, yeah, but this will just be here a couple weeks and then we'll be back to normal. Right. And it reminds me, like, we did think that. We totally did. Yeah. Actually, this friend I was talking to this weekend with the girl with the cat. Yep. She and her family were supposed to come and spend a week in Boulder in June. And we had this conversation in mid-April, right? Like, so we've been closed down for a month now. And we were still like, do you think, well, you know, they're saying the virus is going to go a little bit quieter over the summer. Let's let's wait it out. And then by early May, it was like, yeah, clearly eh, not happening but we were a month in and still thinking that it could right. somehow be short term. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I think it was that not knowing and then thinking we knew and then we're like, oh, shit. No, that's not working out. We got to keep pushing it, keep pushing it, keep pushing it. Um, so for me, that was kind of one of the hardest things. Mm, yeah. What about for you? Well, very similar. I mean, I feel like and I know I've said this on the pod before, like that initial wave of closures, there was a certain simplicity in it for most of us. Mm-hmm. I want to be clear, though, for many, it was not. We had many people who still had to go to work facing a, a virus we still knew very little about, and it was just super scary. But for a lot of us, it was just like, stay home, right? Like, don't go out, don't do anything, stay home. And there was such clarity in that that I really appreciated. And then it became super ambiguous. And I had clients pushing for in-person things when I wasn't comfortable. Or even friends saying, like, let's go grab brunch. And me being like, oh, I'm I'm not ready for that. Yes. And so, like, living in those spaces of having to set boundaries and do what's best for my business and my clients and myself in the midst of this time was really, really challenging. Um, I feel like it's gotten easier again because everybody's like, oh, shit, wave three, stay at home. Right. (laughs) Um, But it's still, it's it's so hard then to also think, okay, if I'm committing to staying at home, how am I going to stay connected? How how am I going to be able to provide a high-quality product in facilitations and trainings? Um, and kind of leaning into the, the positives, right? Like in a virtual world, I can, I can engage people outside this immediate geographic region and that's great. I can zoom in to international webinars, which I couldn't have, you know, attended in person. And so like trying to balance out what's been really hard with that, with like the positives is one of the things I tried to maintain and it's also really challenging to do. (laughs) Because sometimes it all just feels hard. 
Absolutely. Um, and then also trying to trying to balance the excitement and energy I'm feeling for my clients who are doing really well right now. Um, like we just finished Colorado Gives Day. My clients far exceeded expectations, goals, prior years. They're fucking killing it. Congratulations. That's amazing. And I know there are a ton of organizations that are really struggling. Yeah. Right? And so I know we talked about, like, what recovery looks like for the economy as a whole, but we're seeing this in the sector as well, where we've got some organizations that are especially being more responsive because of the, the pandemic who are seeing, like, real growth. And their trajectory continues to go up and others that are struggling so much. I mean, I think about my my friends who work for the Colorado Ballet mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out what the fuck to do in 2021 because there's there's still so much unknown. And and so it's hard to like hold both of those realities for the sector. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Who could be an individual, a group of people, a role? Who has been most helpful to you in this last year? Well, you're going to think that I'm saying this because I'm staring at you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's true. I I have to say you. I mean, the fact that we sit down once a week and talk about the shit that's going on in the world, how it's affecting us professionally, how it's affecting us personally. I mean, before each episode, we sit and shoot the shit first, you know, and talk about, well, this happened to me over the weekend and what about you and da da da. And having that touchstone every week, um, I don't know, has really kept me grounded. And so I'm super thankful for that. I mean, I think our friendship, it's always nerve-wracking you don't know when you go into an endeavor like this like is it is the friendship going to like grow stronger or is there going to be challenges like what happens if we don't agree on something or if I let her down um (laughs) (laughs) and I just think that our friendship has grown so much stronger in 2020 and so thank you Actually, it's funny you say that. Uh, so there was an episode of My Favorite Murder, which for those of you who are maybe just joining the podcast, may not know that is one of our favorite podcasts and often what we model ourselves off of. Well, they they had just come back from their world tour, Karen and Georgia, the co-hosts of that show. And um, hashtag podcast goals. Clearly podcast goals. And uh, one of them was saying, was talking about like, how they need to go to couple counseling basically because they had all these uh, arguments on tour. Mm. And I feel like that episode came out right before we launched. And that was my biggest fear. It was like, Oh my God, what if Brittany and I aren't friends anymore because of the podcast? <laughs> that would be the worst outcome possible. Oh, it'd be horrible. But yes, you're right. It's just made us stronger. So who's your person? Well, I, I kind of have to say you, right? <laughs> you don't have to. No pressure. It's okay. You know, I. at the end of the day, though, it is true. And this is what we say when we speak publicly. Like, everybody needs a Brittany or everybody needs a Nia. Mm-hmm. Because I think about some of the most challenging conversations I've had to navigate this year. 
Um, you know, I, I've been doing a lot more work uh, in racial equity, and there's a lot to process around that. And I really appreciate having another white woman who I can call and like both hold myself accountable, but also have really open and honest conversations about what I'm grappling with. Yeah. And I don't know how I would have gotten through this year otherwise. So everybody go get a Britney. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I'm very grateful that I have a supportive husband and a supportive boss and a supportive therapist and, you know, all of these supports in my life. But, um, you know, there are certain things that I'm not going to tell my boss about my personal life, obviously. And there's stuff that I'll tell my husband about my professional life, but he's not going to fully understand. No. You know, and so um, it is nice to have that person that is so knowledgeable about your day-to-day struggles that they just get it. You know, they're like, yep, I got it. That sucks. Speaking of husbands, uh, mine is home today, working downstairs. Uh, So we are battling for bandwidth again. Ooh, that's a good song, battling for bandwidth. That's good. Um, Is he drilling anything into the wall? No, he is actually working for now. I have a feeling that will wane as the week goes on. (laughs) Yeah. But I had told him, I've got a really important presentation this morning from 10 to 11. I need need it quiet. I need the bandwidth. Um, And about 10 minutes in, I start seeing the videos get garbly. No. And so I'm texting him, whatever you're doing, stop. Get off the internet. (laughs) And I go down afterwards and I was like, and of course clueless like fully clueless he has no idea that i just presented to the 35 member leadership team of a local college <laughs> did you um don't you have next light i mean we could talk about this offline but don't you have next light? yeah yeah huh. but when i'm on zoom he's streaming hulu and he's on his right connection to work it's still it just can't it's hold too on. much yeah uh, yeah i get it yeah. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. Okay, next question for you. Um, obviously, we've adapted quite a bit in 2020. We've learned. We've grown. What do you want to take from this year, from this period of time, into your work going forward? Do you want to answer it first? Because I feel like by me answering first all the time, I steal thunder. And then you just have to come in with seconds. Okay, sure. Um, I've got a few thoughts. Um, you know, I think one of the most important things I've learned, um, and I'm still learning, is a different pace of work. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've realized at a number of junctures throughout this pandemic that I just, I can't be as productive as I normally am. I can't work 12 hour days, days in a row without yeah. just burning out. So you know, finding better balance in my personal life. I think one of the really great things I've seen in fundraising is a real shift in focus to stewardship. Mm -hmm. You know, as people, as as fundraisers were thinking about, okay, we're not going to have this event. How do I connect with my donors? How do I ensure that they're still engaging? And so they did Zoom calls. They put on special educational events. And we just saw donors really engage with those organizations in new and more deep ways. And I think that is part of what we're seeing in our year in fundraising is stewardship like leveled up kind of across the board and donors responded. 
That's great. I totally agree with that. I have seen that as well. So just to clarify, the question was, what is something that worked that I want to take into the, the yep. future? Yep. Well, I don't know if it's worked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is what I'll say, is that um, pre-pandemic, I really compartmentalized my job and my family. It just was a lot easier for me, not that I didn't think about one when I was with the other sometimes, but I really did try that when I was at work, I was at work. When I was home, I was at home. And those lines have been um, forcibly blurred this yep. whole year. And it makes me really uneasy. Um, just like I can hear my kids downstairs right now. <laughs> and that gives me anxiety. Um, however, what it has taught me is that um, things aren't always in boxes, right? Mm -hmm. And that the lines do blur and that it is possible to manage both. And, you know, we've talked about this on here before, you know, because of this working from home and schooling from home, it's created more vulnerability in the workplace yeah. because like at any point in time, like your kid's going to walk in or your cat's going to jump on your lap or, and, and I've really enjoyed that humanness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That like, yeah, who cares? I don't care that even though we might still, I might still, you know, if my kid came in right now, it just means more work for Nia in post having to, <laughs> <laughs> having to edit it out. But, um, that that let that new level of humanness i hope we continue forward with mhm mm um yeah and to your point when it comes to fundraising you know we have been so pigeonholed into these certain ways of raising money and you know galas being a big part of that and spending you know $50,000 on an event. Oh, God, my stomach just churned hearing that. <laughs> right. That maybe, um, you know, yields obviously more than that or it wouldn't be worth it. But it's still a lot of fucking money to put together an experience mm -hmm. for people so that they feel inclined to give. And because it's still people's number one fundraiser of the year, you know, organizations were just scared to let that go. Yeah. Like, how else would I do it? And I feel like now being forced to do it in another way, being forced to do it in a more cost-effective way, I'm not saying people won't go back to galas, but I think it's going to be a long time before 300 people feel comfortable being jammed into a ballroom together. And it's done just that. It has showed us another way. Yes. And so now I hope we can start thinking out of the box more and get more creative with our fundraising and, and not be um, tied to these old ways, which as we've talked about, really are not in line with the values of our organization in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. I was in a, um, a fundraiser, like peer group last week and, um, Basically, every organization expressed some sort of uh, grappling with the 2021 planning. Right. 
Are we going to push our gala with the hopes that we can be in person in the fall? Are we are we just going to assume it's virtual, start planning for that? Are we going to invest the money to do some sort of hybrid, which Oof. is which is hard? Um, and you know, I think this continues to provide this opportunity for that that deep long look. Is this serving us? Is it serving us well? Right. But also about the accessibility piece. I mean, galas are sent up are set up for able-bodied people who like yep. to be in crowds, who like to, who are extroverted, right? Like who, who want who can, to. Who can pay for an expensive And who ticket. can pay. Yeah. And, and the dress and the, you know, hair, like the whole nine. Right. It is an expensive affair. So if we, if we really want to be values aligned in terms of access, it might not be that a gala format is serving us and our donors well. Yeah. So how do we how do we upend that? How do we find something that really is values aligned for the organization in our fundraising? And I feel like this is twenty twenty has been the first break in that ice, yeah. right? Yeah. On on a on a large scale, mm-hmm. right? Yep. On a sector wide scale. Yeah. Well, and it's even I think made the tools more obvious. Okay, so you're doing an educational event on Zoom add the closed captioning. Right. Right. Like all these little things that we can be doing. And then the question becomes more, how do we integrate this in person instead of it not even being thought of? Right. Yep. I agree. Okay. So this is a personal question. Uh Uh-huh. What parts of yourself do you wish to expand and strengthen in 2021? Which parts of myself? Look, I'm, I'm, pausing mm-hmm. and <laughs> scratching your beard apparently what is I that yeah because that's how i'm thinking i'm thinking um well that's such a great question um <laughs> if 2020 has put a spotlight on anything um and i think it's for most people but i'll just speak for myself it's probably self-care mm-hmm. which is such a overused you know term but um man, it's fucking necessary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I didn't realize how much I had um, piecemealed self-care into my daily routine. Ooh, that's an interesting and, assessment. Until it was taken away. So, mm. for example, um, I listened to all my podcasts on my commute and or that's time that I have to myself that I'm decompressing from work before I walk into the house or vice versa. And just even taking that away, I realized um, how much it affected me of like, I need alone time. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first one to admit that I'm an extreme extrovert, but I still need to fill my cup. And I do that in different ways that when we were forced to just be at home and never leave the house, I lost. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I have to do more conscious self-care, if that makes sense. Yeah. Of like, no, I'm actually going to take this time to go read a book or I'm actually going to not that watching TV can't be self care because I definitely zone out on some Netflix. But for me, I'm like, well, maybe let's just turn this off and like go read for half an hour before bed, Mm -hmm. um, to have that quiet. And then also, um, 
to be enjoying a good book, which I really get to. So um, I would say that being more conscious of my daily self-care routine. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that. Last week, uh, you know, it was, it was wild. We had Colorado Gives Day, and then, I mean, all the prep for that is wild. You have the day of, which is just, like, intense adrenaline <laughs> all day long, and then all the cleanup, right? Making sure all the donors get their thanks, the uh, everything's in the database, all that stuff. And so I'm, you know, managing that at various levels for clients or just pinging them, making sure they've got what they need. Um, and by Thursday afternoon, I, w- I was done. I was exhausted. So I closed my computer early four o'clock which is a big deal for me (laughs) I went and I got I changed my clothes and I was about to walk downstairs to my gym and my husband walked in which is super early for him and he was like oh you don't want to like sit around and like catch up and I almost started crying I was like I need to work out so badly right now yep I have so much like energy my body hurts because I've just been holding all this stress in for four days I just need to go downstairs. And so I did. I had a killer workout, sweated out all of those those emotions, all the chemicals that were building up. Um, and I came upstairs feeling like a renewed person. And again, just validating that, like, shit, if I had been doing that since Monday, I probably would have felt way better all week. Right? Yeah. I know. I mean, I do think so, too, that I have prioritized um, physical movement in 2020 more than I ever have. Yeah. Um, because like, I don't leave my house for days on end. Yeah. And I sit in front of a computer all day, every day. So noticing the toll that it takes, um, just to, when you're not moving, just like Mm -hmm. even walking throughout your day. Yep. So good Mm -hmm. for you. Um, okay, so last question. Thinking about the last year, what words of wisdom, what words of gratitude or appreciation do you want to share with our nonprofit colleagues? Oh, gosh, no pressure, huh? <laughs> um, I mean, I just keep going back to that we see you. I mean, that all of the fruits of your labor, um, like, I hope it's come back in spades by the end of the year or moving into 2020. But even if not, um, that work hasn't gone unnoticed. And that we know that you've been working your asses off. We know that 2021 is still a big question mark. And that makes parts of your job extremely difficult when it comes to planning, budgeting, um, relieving board members' fears, CEOs' fears, um, but that you're doing the best that you can. And we know that. So we see you. I love that. That's awesome. I don't know that I could do anything better or beyond that. Uh, I think the the one thing I just would add is that 2020 has also been a year of really looking at nonprofits, the structures that create the sector, the lack of diversity, the mm-hmm. uh, issues around equity that have not been effectively addressed, um, and 
we know that work is hard. Um, and those of you who are stepping into those positions of being the, the leader on your staff to start addressing them, those of you who are having hard conversations with colleagues about anti-racism work. Yes. It's amazing that you're doing that and keep it up because this, this is the beginning. I hate yeah. to say it. I know. <laughs> I know. And we've got listeners out there who are being like, I've been doing this for 40 years. What do you mean this is the fucking beginning? Yeah. <laughs> but like the 2020 has been such a catalyst for change and we need to, to maintain the energy of all this going forward. So looking back to the last year, for those of you who have stepped into social justice spaces where maybe you aren't necessarily comfortable, you're still figuring it out, congrats and keep it up. Awesome. All right. So we want to hear from you, you know, if, do you have any stories or lessons learned um, from 2020 that you want to share with us? We would love to hear them. Um, we are eyes forward looking at 21 and so excited to um, discover what it has in store for all of us together. So thank you for listening. Thank you um, for sharing your time with us, which is so precious these days. Um, and how can they get in touch with us? They can email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. So this is coming out on the 28th, right? Yep. There is still time to give, people. <laughs> <laughs> you have three days left of the year. Make your gift if you have capacity. Support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. Let's close the book on this dumpster fire of 2020. Here we come, 21. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.